0: Individuals who improved or switched their diet from a Western diet to a more optimal diet at the age of 60 could add eight years for women and 8.8 years for men to their life expectancy. If we look at the research that's available on the relationship between dietary patterns and longevity, some of the main foods that contribute to increased lifespan include fruit and vegetable, fish, legumes, cereal, whole grains, and nuts and seeds. These are the main foods that are dietary Be composed of if we want to increase our chances of living as long as possible, disease free. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Joey, nutrition science PhD and founder of Fit for Life Academy. Today's episode is a solo episode. I know it's been quite some time since I've recorded an episode on my own, and truth be told, one of the main reasons I haven't been doing solo episodes is because they take a ton of uh, planning prior to recording the episode. And in addition to that, I really enjoy just having guests on the podcasts and having conversations about different topics. But I didn't have anybody (laughs) to have on the show today. So I'm, I'm recording an episode on my own to stay on schedule with publishing an episode every week. And we're going to be talking about a very, very important topic on today's episode which is specific dietary patterns and nutritional choices to help improve or increase longevity, lifespan, quality of life, right? I think if we take a second um, to reflect on why we do the things we do when it comes to our health and our fitness, um, whether it's you want to look better or you have some performance-based goals Um, I think most of us can, can really agree, at least to some aspect, that we do these things to live a longer, healthier life, right? If I really think about the main reason why I go to the gym four to five times per week and spend... I don't know, six to eight hours a week training and focusing on healthy food choices and making sure I have a healthy body composition and making sure I prioritize my sleep. And all of these different variables that we know can have a positive impact on our health. Sure, I lift because I want to look better, right? I lift because I enjoy it and I want to get stronger because, again, it's something that I personally care about. But at the root of... uh, At the root of that, right, the main reason why I, and perhaps you as well, do these things is because we want to live longer, right? Um, And not only live longer, but have better quality of life as we age as well, to reduce the risk of developing certain diseases like cardiovascular disease or cancer, right? Things that can be quite scary to think about. Um, And so today, what we're really going to talk about is... What should your diet look like or what changes can you make to your diet to increase your likelihood of not developing chronic diseases, uh, extend your lifespan as much as possible, and improve your quality of life as you age as well. Okay. Keep in mind, chronic diseases are the number one reason why people die prematurely right things like cardiovascular disease which is the number one killer worldwide diabetes related complications sarcopenia right sarcopenia is the age related loss of muscle mass osteoporosis loss of bone density I can't remember the exact statistic right now But individuals who are over the age of 65, who fall and break a bone, particularly the hip bone, there's like a really high mortality risk within a year of falling and breaking um, a bone, right? So if we can prevent these things, and of course, nutrition is not the only factor, right? Exercise and overall lifestyle and genetics all play a role, but nutrition certainly plays a role. Um, If we can improve our diet to reduce the risk of these chronic diseases, then by default, we are increasing our lifespan, right? Because again, these diseases are the number one reason why people die prematurely. And now to talk about, before we even go into specific dietary changes, I think it's important to talk about the impact of diets on longevity, right? Because oftentimes, We talk about these different variables like exercise or nutrition, and we start to think inevitably like how much of an effect can something like your diet really play, right? Like if you have a poor diet versus a healthy diet, how much does that really extend your lifespan by? And I think you'd be surprised at the answer to that question, okay? There's actually some really cool research that assesses this specific question, right? So there was a cool study published in 2022 investigating the relationship between dietary patterns and longevity. And they found that switching from a typical Western diet, AKA an American diet, right? That's uh, mainly filled with highly processed foods, a ton of refined carbohydrates, uh, perhaps high sodium, high saturated fats. So switching from a typical Western diet to what they considered an optimal diet which is characterized by higher intakes of foods like whole grains legumes legumes being beans right lentils chickpeas soybeans etc fish fruit vegetables and nuts was associated with a significant increase in life expectancy how significant well It really depends on when in the lifespan somebody switched or improved their overall diet quality, but switching from a Western diet to an optimal diet at the age of 20 increased life expectancy by 10.7 years for women and 13 years for men. Again, I'm going to repeat that, right? Individuals who switched from a Western diet to an optimal diet, which again was characterized by a higher intake of the foods that I just mentioned, at or before the age of 20 years old, increased life expectancy by over a decade in both men and women, right? Really let that sink in. Your food choices can influence your lifespan by over a decade. You can live, and again, these are averages, right? Uh, it's not going to work the same for everybody. Unfortunately, some people are just dealt shitty genetics, right? Because it's a genetics are a huge contributing factor here and you might improve your diet and unfortunately, you might not extend your lifespan that much. But in general, your diet can play a huge role in overall life expectancy. And now you might be thinking, well, I'm not 20 years old. Most of the people that listen to this podcast are not younger than 20, right? So how much of an impact does it have if you improve your overall diet later in life? Well, individuals who improved or switched their diet from a Western diet to a more optimal diet at the age of 60 could add eight years for women and 8.8 years for men to their life expectancy. That's still a lot. It's not It's not as much as... Uh, making these improvements when you're younger in life because the negative impacts of poor dietary choices compound, right? So the risk of cardiovascular disease, the risk of diabetes, for example, these things compound. So if you've been eating poorly for a decade, you've done some damage, right? That being said, you can still extend your overall lifespan if you improve dietary choices later in life. They even looked at individuals who improved their overall diet quality at the age of 80, And there was still an improvement of about three or four years in total life expectancy for both men and women so still pretty significant right because individuals who are 80 or above are pretty close to the end of their life right probably within their last one two maybe three decades of life right but that would be pushing it one or two decades of life um and increasing life expectancy by three or four years at that age is quite significant so there is a ton of research showing that diet plays a huge impact in overall life expectancy, right? And I'm sure you guys have all heard of things like the Mediterranean diet, for example. If we look at the available research, the Mediterranean diet seems to have the most positive health-related outcomes out of any dietary pattern. And again, the Mediterranean diet is characterized by a high consumption of many of the foods that we just mentioned, whole grains, legumes, Fatty fish, right? Fruits and veggies, plant-based foods, um, high mono and polyunsaturated fatty acids, which we'll talk about. Um, And the same goes for blue zones. For those of you guys who haven't heard of the term blue zones, blue zones refer to places on earth where people live the longest, right? There are highly concentrated areas of individuals who live over a hundred years old, which is really impressive. And most of these individuals age gracefully and they still have full physical function by the time they die, right? Imagine being able to live to hundred years old or older and still be able to do everything for yourself, get your groceries, um, clean your house, do your dishes, do your laundry. You don't need somebody to help you shower. Right, so it's not just about how long you live, but also the quality of life and your physical function as you age. And in those populations, in the blue zones, overall diet is very similar. Um, I actually highly recommend there's a there's a show on Netflix about blue zones. I can't remember the name of it now. It might be it might be called Blue Zones or Blue Zone something. Look it up. It's a great show. And it's essentially a documentary-style show that goes to these different areas um, and shows their overall dietary patterns, lifestyle, physical activity, etc. It's fantastic. Highly, highly recommend. So what are some of the main dietary patterns that are associated with increased longevity? Before we talk about specific foods, it's very, very important to talk about the importance of energy balance. And I'm not going to go incredibly in-depth on this, but energy balance being caloric intake. I've made a number of episodes on the podcast um, on energy balance, caloric intake, how many calories do you need, et cetera. If you're interested in checking that out, scroll to some of the first episodes on the podcast where I really went in-depth on those topics. Um, but it's it's really important that you're consuming an appropriate number of calories. Um, or an appropriate quantity of calories independent of food choices. Okay. So independent of the foods that you're consuming, it's really important that you're within appropriate energy balance and appropriate energy balance. Just meaning that you're consuming a number of calories that helps you maintain a healthy body composition. Okay. And now why is that important? Why does caloric intake matter independent of of food choices? Well. It's because overconsumption of calories over time, chronically, right, results in an increased amount of adiposity, right? So you have more body fat if you eat more calories over a certain period of time, right? And the increase in adiposity results in an increased concentration of pro-inflammatory molecules. So you have more inflammation when you have more adiposity. And I'm going to explain a little bit as to why this happens and why this contributes to the development of disease. By the way, fun fact, inflammation, low-grade chronic inflammation, and I think it's probably important to define what these things mean. Inflammation is characterized by an increased concentration of what we call pro-inflammatory molecules. Okay, There are these different molecules that circulate in our bloodstream that have inflammatory properties and they can be secreted from our immune system, from our fat cells and other tissues as well, okay? When we have excess adiposity, we have an increased concentration of these molecules. And that happens due to a number of reasons. When we have more body fat, there's something, uh, a number of things occur, okay? First off, we have adipocyte dysfunction. That means that the fat cells themselves called adipocytes are dysfunctional. They don't function how they would if there was less fat accumulation. Hey guys, some of you may not know that I'm the scientific advisor for a supplement company called Outwork Nutrition. I help with the formulation of new products to help ensure that they're effective and backed by science. Unlike many other supplement companies out there, we don't rely on exaggerated claims or flashy marketing tactics. Instead, we let the science speak for itself. We take pride in formulating products that deliver real results, helping you achieve your fitness goals in a meaningful way. If you're in the market for supplements like protein powder, pre-workout, or recovery products, make sure to check us out at OutworkNutrition.com. And as a thank you for being an avid listener of this podcast, use code Joey for an exclusive discount at checkout. You can find a link to our website down in the description of this podcast episode. Remember, our goal is to empower you with science-backed supplements that truly make a difference. Choose Outwork Nutrition and elevate your fitness to new heights. In addition, there is more infiltration of immune cells into fat tissue okay and these immune cells release pro-inflammatory cytokines because of the adipocyte dysfunction okay because of the environment that is occurring in the uh, fat tissue itself there's also hypoxia okay so hypoxia meaning lack of blood flow you have to understand that blood there is blood supply there are capillaries um, that supply blood to all of our different tissues However, when there is excess adiposity, fat grows at a rate that is faster than our body's ability to supply blood to all of the new fat that's being accumulated. So there is lack of oxygen because there is a lack of blood supply because blood provides oxygen to different tissues. And that hypoxic environment, aka lack of oxygen, is one of the reasons we have adipocyte dysfunction and we have immune cell infiltration locally in the fat tissue okay i know i'm throwing a lot out there but all of this contributes to a higher production of inflammatory molecules from the fat cells cells themselves okay so fat can be seen as an endocrine organ right endocrine meaning it releases things into our blood that influence our physiology. Some of those things are pro-inflammatory molecules, things like tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-6, interleukin-1-beta. Okay, these are all molecules that have inflammatory effects. And so when we have more body fat, because we're consuming more calories, our adipocytes don't function correctly and they secrete more of these inflammatory molecules. And these inflammatory molecules are, in essence, at least as the scientific literature stands, one of the main contributing factors to the development of most chronic diseases, okay? Diabetes, cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, arthritis, there are a whole host of chronic diseases, that their etiology, a.k.a. their root cause, seems to be, at least in parts, low-grade chronic inflammation. Okay, So these things can contribute to endothelial dysfunction. The endothelium is the inner lining of our blood vessels, and essentially these pro-inflammatory cytokines do not allow the endothelium, and therefore our blood vessels, to work appropriately to put it simply. So there's an increased risk of atherosclerosis, plaque buildup in our arteries. Our arteries also are not able to dilate effectively. So there's an increase in blood pressure, okay? These pro-inflammatory molecules also result in insulin resistance. For example, tumor necrosis factor alpha, which is one of these inflammatory molecules, directly inhibits the signaling of insulin. So, the way these, this works is like insulin binds to a cell, which then allows glucose to be uptaken into the cell, which helps lower blood glucose. TNF alpha, short for tumor necrosis alpha, inhibits that, right? It doesn't allow insulin to work properly. So, it's one of the contributing factors to insulin resistance as well. Okay, so first and foremost, energy balance is incredibly important for longevity and chronic disease prevention. Independent of how healthy your diet is, if you are, over time, gaining weight, that is going to directly reduce your longevity, essentially, right? And increase your risk of chronic disease. Now, besides energy balance, what foods should we be consuming? Well, again, if we look at the research that's available on the relationship between dietary patterns and longevity, some of the main foods that contribute to increased lifespan include fruit and vegetable consumption, pretty obvious, fish consumption, legumes, again, legumes are, beans are essentially a category of legumes, right? So again, things like black beans, chickpeas, soybeans, etc. Cereals, whole grains, and nuts and seeds, okay? These are the main foods that our diet should be composed of if we want to increase our chances of living as long as possible, disease free. Okay. And there's a commonality amongst these foods, right? So why do these foods specifically contribute to longevity? Let's talk about it. Well, first and foremost, many of these foods are high in fiber. Okay. Fiber again, being only found in plant-based foods. So things like whole grains, right? Oats, quinoa, whole wheat product, um, fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts, and seeds are all high fiber foods. And there's plenty of data to show that a high fiber diet can help reduce the risk of obesity, chronic diseases, and colon cancer, which is really uh, cool as well. Um, And again, obesity and chronic disease go hand in hand, but the benefits of fiber go beyond just weight management. Okay, so there are unique benefits to fiber that can help reduce the risk of chronic disease development. And there's a number of different mechanisms as to why that is. First and foremost, you guys have, I'm sure, have heard of the gut microbiome and fiber helps feed our healthy gut microbes. Okay, so we have microbes in our gut that are associated with pretty much every health related outcome. And there are microbes that have positive impacts on our health, and there are microbes that have negative impacts on our health. Fiber seems to preferentially feed the microbes that have positive impacts on our health, okay? And some of these benefits, health-related benefits, seem to be due to the production of short-chain fatty acids. So let's talk a little bit about physiology here. When we consume fiber, by definition, fibers are indigestible. Okay. We do not digest and absorb fiber the same way we do other carbohydrates, proteins, or fats. Instead, it makes its way into our colon where our microbiome or the gut or the um, microbes in our gut and our colon specifically can then ferment and use fiber for energy production. In that fermentation process, the microbes uh, produce what are called short-chain fatty acids, things like acetate, butyrate, etc., And these short-chain fatty acids mechanistically seem to have anti-inflammatory properties. And we talked about inflammation being a contributing factor to the development of chronic diseases. So things that have anti-inflammatory properties should help reduce the risk of developing some of these diseases. Fiber also helps slow down the absorption of nutrients in our gut, okay? And why is that important? Because if we slow down digestion of food, it helps promote satiety or the sense of feeling full. And if you feel fuller longer, it's easier to regulate overall caloric intake. And again, caloric intake is a critical component of our overall health. And fiber also helps increase the excretion of cholesterol. Okay. So when we digest food, fat, fatty acids specifically require something called bile to properly digest and metabolize dietary fats. Bile is this fluid substance that's rich in cholesterol. However, bile can typically be recycled. Okay. So if we use bile, we recycle bile to use it for when we have another meal, essentially. That being said, Fiber reduces our ability to recycle bile so we excrete more bile in our feces and therefore we also excrete more cholesterol. So for individuals who have high blood cholesterol, high blood lipids, fiber can help reduce them by the mechanism that I just explained. And so how much fiber should you be consuming? The general recommendation is about 14 grams of fiber per 1000 calories, but more seems to be better. Okay so if you can consume more fiber, in general consuming 25 to 30 grams of fiber is going to be fantastic. If you can go beyond that, there doesn't seem to be any adverse effects unless you have GI distress, GI symptoms, okay? Some individuals are quite sensitive to fiber, especially if you have certain autoimmune conditions, if you have sensitivities to FODMAPs, which are specific types of fibers found of uh, uh, specific types of carbohydrates I should say found in some foods. If you have Crohn's disease, IBS, and uh, different different digestive conditions, essentially, some of those individuals cannot tolerate a high-fiber diet. And in those situations, not consuming fiber is likely ideal because you don't want to live with bloating, gas, stomach pain, etc. But for individuals who don't have those conditions, essentially, a higher-fiber diet is going to positively impact health-related markers and likely increase Longevity as well. Aside from fiber, a lot of these foods are really high in phytonutrients. So, what are phytonutrients? Phytonutrients are compounds found in plant based foods that have health benefits but are not considered essential nutrients. So, essential nutrients like specific vitamins and minerals are things that we need to get from our diet, or else we're going to be deficient in them and they're going to have adverse, immediate, relatively immediate adverse health effects. Phytonutrients, we can live without them, but they do seem to have positive health benefits. These are things like carotenoids, flavonoids, polyphenols, etc. You may have heard of some of those terms. And most of these phytonutrients have anti-inflammatory and antioxidative properties that again can help reduce the risk of chronic disease. When I was doing my PhD at Florida State University, I did some work on some of the functional benefits of specific phytonutrients. So we did some work investigating the bone protective effects of something called soy uh, isoflavones. Isoflavones are a specific type of phytonutrient found in soy products and other foods that seem to act similarly to estrogen. And for those of you that don't know, estrogen is incredibly important for bone health. We also did some work looking at the effect of phytonutrients found specifically in black beans and their ability to help reduce reduce um, atherosclerotic plaque buildup, right? So the buildup of plaque in your arteries. So these phytonutrients in plant-based foods have unique health benefits. For example, carotenoids, which tend to be found in red, orange or yellow fruits and veggies, have been shown to perhaps reduce the risk of cancer development, and they have positive impacts on eye health as well. Flavonoids, which are found in things like berries, nuts, or even coffee, have cardiovascular health benefits. I'm sure you guys have heard that drinking coffee is good for your heart. One of the main reasons why is because coffee is rich in flavonoids, right? And uh, fun fact, by the way, berries specifically, blueberries blackberries, etc. are amongst the highest in some of these phytonutrients. It's, it's probably a really good idea to include berries as something that you consume regularly in your diet. In general, rule of thumb, any sort of food that has a dark, um, and let's say like concentrated color is going to be really high in phytonutrients. Many of these phytonutrients are responsible for the color or the dye In different plant-based foods so any sort of food that like would stain your clothes or stain your fingers cherries for example are going to be very rich in phytonutrients now aside from fiber and phytonutrients these foods that are associated with longevity tend to also be high in mono and polyunsaturated fatty acids fish nuts seeds some fruit like avocado are high in mono and polyunsaturated fatty acids okay this includes things like omega-3s right and in general higher consumption of these fatty acids are associated with a reduced concentration of ldl cholesterol right ldl cholesterol again being the bad cholesterol and i put it that in between quotations because I really don't like the term bad cholesterol. I don't think it's the appropriate nomenclature, but nonetheless, it helps reduce LDL cholesterol and LDL cholesterol is one of the main variables that contributes to the development of plaque buildup in your arteries and subsequently cardiovascular disease. These fatty acids also seem to have anti-inflammatory properties. Again, anything that has anti-inflammatory and antioxidative properties are going to help reduce the risk of disease development. And lastly, these uh, fatty acids also help improve endothelial function. Again, the endothelium is that inner lining of cells on the inside of our blood vessels that comes in contact with blood that's flowing. And these endothelial cells um, respond and sense the different nutrients that are in our blood And therefore, the function of the endothelium is really important for the overall health of your vascular system, right? And so, mono and polyunsaturated fatty acids can help improve endothelial function. So, it can help um, improve the availability of things like nitric oxide, which help with the dilation of our blood vessels. And if our blood vessels can dilate, it helps regulate blood pressure better because again, blood pressure is simply a byproduct of how much volume of blood there is inside your blood vessels and how much pressure that's putting against the wall of the blood vessel. And so if you can dilate your blood vessel, then by definition or by default, you will help reduce blood pressure, AKA regulate blood pressure. Now, aside from fiber, fatty acids, phytonutrients, it's also important to talk about protein, okay? I think protein is an incredibly important part of longevity as well. Protein source matters. We'll talk about that in a second. But making sure that you eat adequate protein to help prevent loss of muscle as you age is really important so sarcopenia is the by definition is age-related loss of muscle mass when we age we lose muscle mass that's one of the main reasons why older folks um, lose physical function right not able to take a shower barely able to sit and stand Uh, also sarcopenia is associated with loss of bone density because you're not stressing your bones if you're not doing many things physically right so eating adequate protein I would say at least 0.6 to 0.8 grams per pound of body weight will help preserve muscle mass, especially in the presence of physical activity, specifically resistance training, will help reduce the risk of sarcopenia, help reduce the risk of osteoporosis, which are again are two big variables that contribute to loss of quality of life and physical function as we age. Now, that pretty much covers... The main dietary patterns, foods, nutrients that we should be consuming, right? Again, fruits and veggies, obviously, whole grains, whole wheat products, fish, nuts, seeds. These are all things that we should be adding to our diets, ideally on a daily basis, if possible. That begs the question then, are there any nutrients that we should limit to help increase our chances of living a long, healthy life? And there are three key nutrients here that I wanna talk about. And there are some caveats to these, okay? But those are mainly saturated fat, added sugars, and sodium, okay? And I say there are caveats to these because everybody is different, okay? Let's talk about saturated fat first. Saturated fat has been shown to increase the production of LDL cholesterol in the liver, okay? it can also impact our ability to remove LDL from the blood. LDL, that's what we call LDL clearance. Okay, so saturated fat directly linked to higher concentrations of LDL cholesterol. That being said, which again, increases the risk of plaque buildup and cardiovascular disease. That being said, there are inter-individual differences. Some individuals are way more sensitive to saturated fat than others. So it's not that saturated fat is directly bad for your health i mean it is but it's not as bad for some people as it is others so if you the general recommendation is to limit your total calories for the day to less than 10 percent coming from saturated fat which is actually a decent amount but if you eat a relatively high amount of saturated fat and your blood lipids are within healthy uh, a healthy range and you don't have uh really high ldl cholesterol you can make the argument that reducing your saturated fat intake won't necessarily have much of a positive impact on your health because you're not as sensitive to it however some individuals are very sensitive to it and even a slight increase in saturated fat will have a direct impact on ldl cholesterol those individuals should limit saturated fat added sugars this one's a no-brainer this one i would recommend across the board for everyone added sugars have zero nutritional value besides the fact of providing some carbohydrate and for exercise, you can make the argument that some added sugars might not be the worst thing in the world, but they provide zero nutritional value. They provide no benefit for hunger and satiety regulation. So they don't really help you feel satiated and they contribute to an increased caloric intake with not much nutritional value, right? So there there aren't many positives to adding sugar to foods from a health perspective. And lastly, it's probably not a bad idea to limit sodium, especially if you have high blood pressure. So sodium increases fluid retention, okay? Because if you consume more sodium, now your concentration of sodium in your blood is higher, which means that relatively, the concentration of water in the blood is lower so sodium essentially acts as an antidiuretic it increases fluid retention because the concentration of water in the blood is lower when you have higher sodium intake so you retain fluid to increase the concentration of water in your blood and if you increase the concentration of water in your blood now you have higher blood volume and if you have higher blood volume by default you have higher blood pressure especially if you don't have really good vascular health right so This ties into some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier regarding endothelial function, right? So again, this is also based on an individual basis because some individuals are not as sensitive to sodium intake, similar to saturated fat, especially if you're somebody who sweats a lot, you're really physically active. Sodium is also really important for optimal physical function. So if you're somebody who is sweating a lot, especially if you are a salty sweater, uh, different individuals excrete more or less sodium uh, in their sweat based off their genetics. So if you're somebody who is really active, you don't have issues with your blood pressure, you don't have issues with your blood lipids, um, again, you sweat a ton, maybe you live in a hot climate, Uh, sodium intake may not be that big of an issue for you. However, if you tend to be somebody who is more physically inactive, first and foremost, you should increase your physical activity. But if you are physically inactive, you don't sweat much and you have issues with your blood pressure, it's probably a good idea to limit your sodium intake. Anyways, guys, I have been rambling on now for I think a little bit over 30 minutes. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys found some value and really start to think about How you can optimize your diet to live the longest, healthiest life possible. Again, just to reiterate the data that I shared at the beginning of this episode, there are plenty of studies showing that diet has a direct impact on longevity. Some showing that substituting or changing your diet from a typical Western diet to an optimal diet that's characterized by a high consumption of these foods that we discussed can increase the lifespan by over a decade. That's huge. If you found this episode valuable, first and foremost, I appreciate you for taking time to listen to me talk for so long. Second, if you found it valuable, please share this with somebody who you think would find some value from listening. And if you haven't already and you're a regular listener of the podcast podcast, I would appreciate if you took a second to leave a review and rate the podcast as well. It helps me a ton and it helps me reach more people and improve the health and as a byproduct happiness of more people as well. Again, thank you for listening and I'll catch you in next week's episode.